0: Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. Pastor Ben Pitney has a message titled, The Next Generation, A Dead Dog Like Me. It will make sense once he draws the truth out of the text in 2 Samuel chapter 19, verses 24-30. through 30. At Vale Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. So we've been talking through um, multiple things for the last few weeks, in particular, um, the next generation. We kind of wanted to end here uh, this little series about the next generation with honoring our graduating seniors. And we have an impressive um, uh, group of uh, young people, don't we? I'm uh, I'm really, um, it's just really exciting to know that We have so many fantastic young people in our church, and uh, we're sending, you know, (laughs) Noah and I wrestled around just a couple days ago uh, just wrestling around with transportation to camp because we've had to adjust it a couple of times because we're taking so many kids to camp, and I know it's been an unusual year, and, uh, you know, people have a lot of pent-up, I want to get out of here kind of thing, and I think that uh, camp is um, you know kind of a uh, some of our response to camp I think is is because of some of those things too, but I think also we just we just have some really good things going on with teenagers so uh, I just want you to know that those things are in in my experience of um, ministry those things are a bit unusual I mean youth ministry is not something that every church in in my view um, takes seriously enough. So at Vail Christian Church, our young people are just uh, a high priority to us. And, you know, we've, uh, I, I didn't play it this morning, but we played through that fly-through video of our master development plan for uh, the campus, the facilities of Vail Christian Church, um, multiple Sundays now, because, and you can go to our website and see it if you want to kind of uh, look at it further. Um, but I want to keep it in front of you because I I think we need to continually stretch for things in the future. And it's, you know, usually I'm the one that uh, I feel like people have to go, hey, hey, hey slow down here. Um, I'm always trying to think uh, into the future in particular and with our campus. And I really believe that we're positioned and we're ready for um, some of these next steps. And I want to talk to you a little bit further about that today, but um, again, I had some other meetings with um, the Solomon Foundation who funded our building projects and things, and they're such a fantastic partner um, with us. I mean, they really are. Um, There's only a few things that I feel like Lynn and I get to do each year to... um, Kind of escape and get away, and the Solomon Foundation pays for actually a lot of that. Um, they just really honor pastors and their wives, and so they've really taken care of us. They're just an a great, uh, just an unbelievable investment and in, um, partners um, for Vail Christian Church. I mean, we didn't say anything about this, but a couple of weeks ago, we had we got a a little dividend reward, whatever you want to call it. Uh, payment in, in in the form of $8,000. Generally every year they grant us money that they don't have to. Um, they're doing so well with investments and so uh, we just got that and it comes at such a great time because we're taking all these kids to camp and like I said I was wrestling through transportation stuff with Noah. We went and rented another van um, so that we could take some more kids. So I've been all over Noah to find more, um, buy more spaces to camp, if he can, um, to, get, to get on that. And so he got some more, so we're taking more uh, high school students to camp. I don't know it, completely what the numbers are, but it's well over 80 high school students, and, and, and it's crazy how many middle schoolers and children were taking to sleep away camp. It's going to be pretty awesome this year. It's not, it's not an easy thing to do because of the things that have been happening, right? Um, camps are kind of gun-shy about a lot of things, too. So it's going to be pretty fantastic. So in light of all that, when we're thinking through the future, I was trying to think about today, what could we um, work through um, as um, a body in, in, regarding the next generation and us? Looking into God's Word, drawing truth out of the Scripture to um, to apply to our lives. So I want you to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 19 today. And what I'd like to do today is is admonish you, is encourage you. That's what that means. Or challenge or charge you with some things. And uh, I titled my message, it's kind of a weird title, but I think you'll get it. Um, It's titled A Dead Dog Like Me. A Dead Dog Like Me. Um, Sounds kind of crazy, but you're going to find in this... Story, I think, what I'm talking about. So, how how can a dead dog like me love a king, in particular, love uh, Jesus? That is really what I want you to do. Is I want you to. I think you will find, from the truth that we draw out of the text, that there is a way, a certain way to love Jesus. And, and it's, it's within this scripture. And the way I want to put it is how a dead dog loves a king, actually. And you're going to see why. But let me just give you a little bit of background and we'll read this scripture together. But um, this story, Absalom is David's son, King David's son. And he's led a rebellion against his father, David. David. And David has been driven out of Jerusalem. Now, I don't know if you just think about that for a few minutes. Your son has led a a rebellion against you to take over, right? And he really wants to kill David. I think if my son wanted to kill me, it would be easy for him to do. He's, uh, He's just younger, stronger, bigger, all that. And that's a sad thing to think about. That's the context that we're in right here. Absalom, David's son, wants to kill him, wants to get rid of him, and so um, take over. Now, there's reasons for all of that, and I'm not going to get into that. But the scene that I want to zero in on, there's a guy named Ziba. Ziba is David's servant, and the servant overseer of another guy named Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth, and Mephibosheth is Jonathan's son. Now, Jonathan is a really good friend of David. Jonathan is Saul's son. Um, and and so um, Mephibosheth is Saul's grandson. Okay, so not too complicated. Ziba is David's servant the servant or the overseer of basically Saul's grandson, Mep- um, Mephibosheth, all right? And so this guy has lied, Zeba has lied about Mephil- Mep- Mephibosheth. That guy's, I mean, he needs a short name. <laughs> Let's just call him Phil, all right? So Zebas lied about Phil. And then cheated him out of an inheritance and deserted him and left him behind with Absalom. So, so in, in other words, Phil, all right, he's going to be loyal to um, Saul, you know, because we're talking about family here. It seems like he should be anyway, right? But when all this happens with Absalom... David's son, what happens is Phil, he wants to go with Ziba because Ziba is loyal to David. He wants to serve and support David. So Ziba has lied to David and told David that Phil, right, has been complicit with Absalom to overthrow him. So he's lied about this. It's not true. Phil actually loves King David. Now there's some other things. Again, remember that Ziba and his household, just in the context, they are supposed to serve this guy, Phil, because back in chapter 9 of Second Samuel, I'll just put it up here really quick. David had asked, because Absalom has died tragically, so that whole drama is over. David's coming back into Jerusalem now, to take back over things. When he comes back in, you know, there's still some of Saul's regime left around and Phil's one of those guys. Remember Zebas lied about during this whole campaign. All right. So David comes back to Jerusalem and in verse one, it says, David asks, is anyone still left from the family of Saul so that I may extend kindness to him for the sake of Jonathan. Remember David loves Jonathan. They're just really good friends. And Jonathan has had this way of loving King David um, and speaking into his life. I mean, he really is responsible for dragging David out of sin um, in particular. And David knows this. So Absalom is dead. And David is returning to Jerusalem and meets... Mephibosheth, who he thinks has been a traitor, because remember, Ziba has lied to him. So 2 Samuel chapter 19, let's read it together, starting in verse 24. It says, now, Mephibosheth, Saul's grandson, came down to meet the king. From the day the king had left until the day he safely returned, Mephibosheth, had not cared for his feet nor trimmed his mustache or washed his clothes. So he smelled pretty good, I guess. Verse 25, when he came from Jerusalem to meet the king, the king asked him, why didn't you go with me? Miss In verse 26, he replies, my lord, the king, my servant deceived me and said, uh, for, for I, I said, let me get my donkey saddled so that I can ride on it and go with the king. For I'm lame. So he's evidently been lame from birth. You can read the story. His mom basically, or somebody, a servant dropped him and he evidently broke all his bones and his feet and everything. So he's lame. He's handicapped. He's got this problem. He can't just walk around, all right? Verse 27, but my servant has slandered me to my Lord, the king. But my Lord, the king is like an angel of God. Do whatever seems appropriate to you. After all, there was no one in the entire house of my grandfather. Remember that's Saul who did not deserve death from my Lord, the king. But instead you allowed me to eat at your own table. What further claim do I have to ask the king for anything? And then the king replied, remember, this is David. Why should you continue speaking like this? You and Ziba will inherit the field together. Or basically all, you, all, the, um, all of uh, your grandfather's, all of his stuff, everything. You'll inherit what, what was his. In verse 30. Philbusshef said to the king, "Let him have the whole thing, my Lord, the king has returned safely to his house so So now you see this like drama unfolding here, right because you know we're we're engaging into this scene where Absalom wants to kill King David, but Saul did as well. Saul was hunting him down, and so there's a lot of drama here. Remember, God wants David to be king." But the people clamor for um, Saul, uh, God allows Saul to um, become king. Actually, what God really wants is he wants the people to love him as king. But they just won't be obedient. So there's a lot of drama here. But this guy, these guys, Ziba, Mephibosheth, David... There, there, there's this little thing going on here that reveals a lot about who David is and I think why God wants David to be king and why God refers to David as a man after his own heart. So that's kind of the background. Now, let's look at where, really what I want to get to. I'm going to just call it a prototype of love for Jesus. I'd underline the last sentence if I were you. If I go back to the scripture, I'd underline... That last sentence is one of the most magnificent statements, in my view, of love in all the Bible. And a beautiful prototype, I'm going to call it, of how we should actually love Jesus. It's right there in 2 Samuel 19.30. Let him have the whole thing, Mephibosheth says. My Lord the King has returned safely to his house. It's a lot that he's inherited and David has treated him really good. David has treated this guy who's not his son, he's treated him like he is his son. When you go back um into the story, David invites him to eat at his table like family. And Saul has been really bad <laughs> to David and the whole the whole mess, right? So Methuselah's—he—he he was deserted, and he was treated really, really, really unfairly by this guy Ziba, and he doesn't seem to be paying any of the consequences, right? He's lied. He actually um, lied about um, Phil, all right, to David, and David said, "Well, then you get all the inheritance," and he's got a lot of family and stuff. So, so. Um, David doesn't actually know the, the entire story. He's king and he's got a lot to do. So it, it's kind of like he he can't seem to get to the whole thing. He doesn't have time to research it all. So he divides it in half and says, you guys get all, um, you you both get something, right? We know that Ziba shouldn't get anything probably, right? So Mephibosheth was deserted and treated really unfairly by Ziba. And when David has to decide, he doesn't know what to say, so he splits the difference, which is distinctly unfair for Phil. (laughs) Really unfair. And in spite of all that, Mephibosheth, he cares nothing for the inheritance because he loves the king so much. And that's where the, 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 the lessons are all wrapped up, right? Let him have the whole thing. All of that's not what was really important to me, right? My Lord, the King has returned safely to his house. That's what was important to me. I think this is why this whole story is, is, is here. So my question is this, what is this love? What, what is this? What kind of love is this? This is an unusual kind of love. And if you go back through now, just the the verses that we read, I I laid out the context. And I did it really quickly and roughly. It's such an unbelievable story. You should go back and read the whole thing for yourself. But I I can see five things here that are distinct about this love that is modeled to, uh, to us in this story. There's one in the middle of verse 27. Look at verse 27. I'm going to call it great admiration for the king. It says, but my servant has slandered me to my lord the king, but my lord the king is like an angel of God. Do whatever seems appropriate to you. Unbelievable admiration for the king from Phil. (laughs) He just cares about the king. He's the grandson of Saul, but he gets it way better than Saul got it, that's for sure. The second thing that I, I see right here is in verse 27. I'm going to call it utter submission to the king's wisdom. Utter submission to the king's wisdom. Right? But my servant has slandered me uh, to my Lord, the king. My my Lord, the king's like an angel of God. Do whatever seems appropriate to you. I trust you. Whatever you do, whatever you're, you're king, I trust you to do what, what should be done. That's utter submission to the king's wisdom. Man, you know... Um there are some times where uh, uh, this the the rubber meets the road for me right here, right where i I want to take matters into my own hands or I want to manipulate things or I want to guide things or I want to kind of put my finger on the scale just a little bit because i 'm not quite sure that I trust <laughs> that I trust what 's going to happen. Do you do that at all? Do you kind of lean on something maybe a little bit because Uh, give it a little bit more guidance than probably you should? Or do you have utter submission to the king's wisdom? I mean, if I'm Phil, I'm going to figure out, you know, I'm going to go, hey, look, if you just spend a little bit of time, you know, focusing on this guy's evil, you're going to find out. I mean, there's plenty of family and witnesses around here that will testify, you know, I'm loyal to you. He doesn't do any of that kind of stuff. He's like, hey, whatever you think is appropriate, go for it. Because I trust you. Because you're wise. Here's uh, the third one. It's in verse 28. Being amazed by the grace here, right? So Mephibosheth says, uh, Sheth says in verse 20, "After all, there was no one in the entire house of my grandfather who did not deserve death from my Lord the king. I mean, he gets it, he knows. but instead, you allowed me to eat at your own table. What further claim do I have to ask the king for anything? You see, Mephibosheth had never gotten over the fact that he was the grandson of David's sworn enemy, Saul. And David took him in and made him like a son and allowed him to eat at his own table like family. He never got over that. That amazed him that David would extend that kind of grace and kindness and love. Here comes the, the, the fourth thing about this kind of love that, Mephibosheth has. It's at the end of verse 28. It's a, it's a sense of, of having no rights or claims. No rights or claims. And I think this is big in our culture in particular over this last 10, 20 years. I see a lot of um, a sense of entitlement. <laughs> like I deserve something. Verse 20, after all, there was no one in the entire house of my grandfather who did not deserve death from my Lord the king. Instead, you allowed me to eat at your own table. What, here it is, what further claim do I have to ask the king for anything? I mean, I deserve death. You you gave me nothing but grace. I don't have any rights or claims. And then finally, a deep sense of unworthiness And here's where I get the phrase, how a dead dog loves a king. Back in 2 Samuel 9, chapter 9, verse 7, David says to Mephibosheth, here it is. He says, when he comes in, right, and he can just just get rid of the entire regime. He can undo everything, you know, physically, but don't be afraid, right? Because I will certainly extend kindness to you for the sake of Jonathan, your father. You'll be a regular guest at my table. That's the part he can't get over. Then Mephibosheth, he bows and he says, he falls at his feet. Of what importance am I, your servant, that you, sh- that you show regard For a dead dog like me. It's powerful, I think. My question is, how can dead dogs like us love a king? And the answer is, let's recognize that we are really dead dogs and that we've been set at the table of the king that 's who we are if we 're following Christ if we sworn allegiance to the King. Remember the story that Jesus uh, told us in the new testament he 's at the house of a Pharisee, and the Pharisee was nitpicking because of a, a, a prostitute had come in uh, to the house. She wet jesus 's feet with her tears, she anointed him, anointed him with oil, she wiped him. And, uh, his feet off with her hair and the Pharisee was really irritated about it, really irritated about it. And Jesus says, said, if a, if a money lender, he tells him this crazy story, if a money lender forgave two debtors, one who owed him $5,000 and the other $50 basically, which one would love him more? And he said, well, well, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus agreed and said, so, so you see this woman, right? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she uh, she, wet. she washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss. You didn't greet me like that. But from the time he says, I came in, she's not ceased kissing my feet. She's been at my feet the whole time. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed my feet with ointment. And then Jesus concludes, right? She has loved much because she was forgiven much, but he's who's forgiven little loves little. Oh my gosh, you got to feel like a total dirtbag if you're the Pharisee. Our debt to God is infinite. And you know it as well as I do because I can see inside my heart. And if I were to open it up and expose it to everybody else, you would go, <gasps> just like everyone would do if I, you know, they could see inside your heart. We are worse than dead dogs in the situation in which we find ourselves. We've done far worse than Mephibosheth. well, what what does this have to do with me and you? There's lots of roads of uselessness in the world that we live in. Tons of that. Many things that contribute to doctrinal and spiritual weakness because of the choices we make. One of the great causes of this is a lack of deep brokenness, I think. A sense that we deserve something. It scares me for our kids, for our high school students. We deserve for life to go better for us. We deserve to get a really good job. We deserve to have relationships that we want. We deserve not to get cancer. Um, this makes us spiritual weaklings, I think. <laughs> and often, this kind of thinking leads to false doctrine, bad instincts for what is true and biblical. And worst of all, it, is, it destroys love for Jesus. That's the kind of stuff that scares me for kids like this that get up here, right? I, I'm, I'm scared because of what our culture teaches us. Our culture teaches us entitlement. We are truly dead dogs. We are worse than Mephibosheth. And we've been loved And we've been set regally at the king's table. If you're a Christ follower, that table is amazing. Get to spend this time with Jesus. And so my desire and my prayer for every person here today, as well as our, our graduates, is that you would love Jesus like Mephibosheth loved David. Only more only more david was king but he is kind of a uh, he you know he represents jesus and the kind of love that we should have for jesus when you are offered riches in this world what do you do with it and when jesus finally comes back and he will return I hope that you'll say to Jesus, let somebody else have all the rewards. I'm just so glad that you're back. That you're back. We're going to um, go to the Lord's table. It's uh, unique today, I think, just a little bit, because this is um, Memorial Day weekend, right? This weekend is set aside... To remember those that have paid the ultimate price, the ultimate sacrifice, served our nation in a way to keep us free. America is a really awesome and great country because of that. So we set this holiday up just to remember those. That's what a memorial is. We set aside a whole weekend to do that. So, yeah, it's going to be about hot dogs and hamburgers and and it is a long weekend and things like that and it's it's kind of cool to do those things. Lynn and I are going to do some celebrating and enjoying being together, but don't forget what this weekend is actually really all about. It's not just a vacation. It's it's focused we created the holiday memorial to remember those that died for us. It's the same thing. These worship stations are the same kind of thing. They're set up. We built the tables. We put all the stuff on there. We kind of decorated. We, we we make it look really good and special. And to, to hold the the Lord's Supper elements, the Bread and the juice that is given to us, set aside by God for us to remember what Jesus stuff did for us. Died, sacrificed his life for ours, took on this our sin, became sin for our sake to give us freedom. I think it's, a, it's a, an amazing parallel. And I hope today that you could go just in a few minutes. Take a little bit of time to remember, do business with the Lord. Honor and worship the King who made a way for you and I to be free. What does this all have to do with you and me? What does it have to do? Number one, do you have a deep brokenness or a sense that you deserve something? That's what I'm praying that our students learn takes work, you know, going to college and they're, they're, they're set out to do all kinds of things. But this brokenness part is huge. And I don't know if Phil, (laughs) I don't know if it's because he had some handicap in his life and disability, what made him so humble, but wow, what an amazing guy who deserved all the reward and the inheritance but he said ha, that's nothing i'm just glad that you're you're back safe you're king what does this have to do with you and i do you, you love jesus like the Philistines chef love david and last have you been set regally at the king's table you swear allegiance to the king if he owns you if he has you because you by faith stepped out and and said i am sinful and in need a savior the table's yours to sit at it's yours anytime every time it's yours to feast at don't forget chef could not get over that he was invited into david's house like a son like family you can eat with me anytime such a privilege to eat with the king that's what we're doing today thank you lord for moments uh, like this to remember in this weekend set aside to remember help us to do that and to do it well we're here to worship you in jesus name we pray you for listening to the Vale Christian Church Podcast. If you have any questions, would like more information about our church, or would like to see the video cast of this message, please visit our website at www.valechristian.com.